Welcome to the Because Radio Road Trip. Today we're visiting the Lactubani District Museum in Lactubani, Manitoba. Let's go! I'm here with Terry and Jack. Terry is the vice president of the Lactamani District Museum and Jack, a board member of the Historical Society. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Uh, There's a lot to cover here, first of which being the land that the museum itself is on. I know there's a lot of significance there and there's uh, quite the story there. So what do you want to tell me about the the land? This land was uh, homesteaded by my grandfather uh, in the early 1900s. the certificate of patent for the homestead is in the museum here, the original certificate. It's dated 1904, I believe, when he was granted the land. And uh, my father grew up here, and I grew up here as well, uh, in this portion where the museum is situated, uh, was purchased by the rural municipality of Lac de Bonnie, uh to establish a park, and it was later decided to establish a museum on the property as well. And the, most of the artifacts in the museum uh, exist in this log cabin that that's uh, that we're sitting right next to here. Uh, the log cabin, having gone through it, it's, it's full of many artifacts from the area and many uh, historical significant events. Um, but I, I understand the cabin as well uh, has quite the story behind it. Uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, The cabin is known as the Hans Erickson Log Cabin. It was brought uh, from north of the Pinawa Generating Station. Uh, Work began about 2003 to restore it. It took a number of years by volunteer uh, society members, and the building uh, eventually uh, uh, was brought across the river by the Pinawa Bridge uh, on a new foundation on this location. Uh, It was originally built by uh, Hans Erickson, a Norwegian immigrant uh, for his daughter Lania. Uh, It was built about 1935. It's a stacked log cabin and it's been restored to on the exterior the the way it originally uh, was and we were allowed to, uh, it's a heritage building and we were allowed, uh, we couldn't do too much on the outside but uh, the inside we we had sort of free reign so uh, we took down the interior walls and removed the the stove and uh, um, opened it up as a, as a museum, saving one one interior wall uh, that wasn't covered over, which is our feature feature wall. So you had mentioned the Pinawa Generating Station, and I understand that uh, the Generating Station has had a tremendous impact on the cultural makeup of the area and the economic uh, standing of the area. So talk about the significance of, of the Generating Station. There were many... Uh, European immigrants that came to the area who were tradesmen and laborers to build the uh, original Pinawa generating station which was followed by other stations on the river and a lot of these uh, people that immigrated to the area to work in the power plants established farms and homesteads in the area and uh, a lot of their descendants are still in the area so this is a really multicultural area and, and a lot of it is due to the uh, powerhouses, the power plants, and the brickyard and sawmill that went before it. One of the first things that uh, I know I noticed when I pulled onto the uh, property here was the train uh, car that's sitting right outside here, and uh, there's a story there as well, and uh, which is also tied to uh, a man 
named J.D. MacArthur, who is a significant uh, character back in the day for this area. So tell us a little bit about that. J.D. MacArthur was uh, Western Canada's uh, leading uh, railway builder, and he happened to uh, be one of the contractors on the branch line that came from Molson to Lac de Bonnie. Uh, the line was completed in uh, June of 1901, and the first train came to, to Lac de Bonnie, and it was the, uh, the terminus. Um, the Lactamani Mining and Developing and Manufacturing Company was in existence since 1899 and was uh, manufacturing bricks and uh, and uh, had a sawmill as well. But when J.D. MacArthur came, uh, it was on the verge of collapse. And uh, J.D. MacArthur, uh, being uh, one of the richest men in Canada at the time, was uh, purchased the uh, the entire holdings of of the sawmill and brickworks. Uh, he he uh, obtained 2,000 acres of, of land as well as a, a, a town site uh, where the village of Lactabani, the four streets were laid out. So uh, those were all of his holdings that he purchased from this, uh, the Lactabani Mining and Developing Company and and bricks were, bricks and timber were shipped on a daily basis to his, his lumber yard at uh, Higgins and Higgins and King and, and the city. Winnipeg, uh, the exchange district, was booming at the time, uh, prior to the First World War, and uh, and he uh, his original investment uh, uh, tripled or quadrupled in in, in value. And um, MacArthur was uh, involved in the uh, manuf- uh, in the constructing of the the largest uh, uh, skyscraper in Winnipeg at the time. It was completed in 1910, and the brick structure was made out of Lactamani bricks. Um, other buildings in Winnipeg were uh, that come to mind are 290 McDermott and 411 Cumberland that were manufactured with Lactabonny bricks. Of course, such an ultimately important part of uh, any Manitoba history uh, is to talk about the indigenous elements of that history, and there's quite a, a, a large uh, indigenous display here at the museum. There's even a teepee outside. Uh, tell us about some of the indigenous-related artifacts in the museum. Of course, the, the indigenous people were here from uh, prior to the settlers, and and when the company, uh, like Bunny Mining and Developing Company, uh, uh, indigenous people were hired to to manufacture and and work uh, uh, clearing brush and uh, and hauling hauling lumber, and they were an important part of Lactabonny's history. Uh, we're on Treaty One and and Treaty Three land, and uh, in 2017 we we did a. Uh, uh, a feature display in our museum uh, fe- featuring the uh, Anishinaabe of, uh, of our area and, uh, and the contribution that, the, uh, um, that we can't, uh, can't take for granted. Um, they give us uh, be- well, certain items, beans, corn and squash, tobacco, um, that we take for granted today uh, are all uh, indigenous foods that uh, we can be thankful for. And the uh, the teepee is, is uh, significant in this area. They wouldn't have, uh, they would use birch bark uh, instead of the uh, the canvas that's on the uh, the reproduction teepee, but uh, uh, smaller in size. And uh, and birch uh, was the uh, the covering of choice in the boreal forest area. Uh, one thing that's going on here is the uh, the wild rice fundraiser. Uh, it's not often you walk into a museum and have the opportunity to get some wild rice while you're there. So. What's that all about, and uh, what's the significance of it? Uh, wild rice occurs naturally in the river, and it has also been uh, 
seeded by uh, people that are in the wild rice business. And there was a wild rice processing plant right here in Lac Bonnie for many years. It has since closed, but there is still a wild rice area at Rice Lake, which is east of here towards Pointe de Bois. And they've been in business, I believe, since 1915. Uh, and they still process wild rice, and that is the wild rice that uh, we sell as a fundraiser here at the museum. It's obtained from that wild rice plant, which goes to finance the upkeep and the maintenance of the museum. Uh, obviously, there's uh, ongoing maintenance required with a log, an old log building that has been restored. And we do have a recently built storage building, but there's always improvements to be done. Heating bill, the hydro bills, this all have to be taken care of, and this is one of the fundraisers. That I learned something very interesting uh, and new for me today coming to the museum, and that's that Lac de Bonnie had the first woman mayor in Manitoba. And that's just one of the many interesting displays that you guys have going on here in the museum. So maybe talk a little bit about uh, Edie Brown, the first woman mayor in Manitoba, and and what are some other interesting exhibits that you want to highlight as well? Edie Brown was, uh, I guess she was uh, challenged to be the, on a dare, she wanted to be mayor for a day, I guess, and, and uh, she nobody, nobody ran the first year, I guess, and she was mayor, and then uh, uh, the next year in 1953, uh, at that time elections were held on a yearly basis rather than uh, every four years as they are today, and um, and Edie was uh, was uh, elected by a landslide the uh, following year. Uh, she did a, a huge number of accomplishments for Lac de Bonnie. Uh, in 1954, the MacArthur Falls generating station uh, was was uh, completed, and uh, it flooded a huge amount of uh, the RM of Lac de Bonnie, especially in the Latonia and Lee River areas, and and the water rising all the way to Lac de Bonnie and. And Edie Brown uh, successfully negotiated with Manitoba Hydro to do uh, a new sewer and water system for the uh, for the village of Lac Tabani. Uh, Edie Brown uh, was able to pave the streets uh, prior to her being mayor. They were they were gravel, and she also brought uh, uh, vapor streetlights. Uh, so she did she did a lot of tremendous uh, work uh, in in her. Uh, years as mayor until 1957. Uh, she was born uh, She was born at the Pinawa Generating Station to uh, her uh, Her father was from Cape Breton Island and her mother was an uh, immigrant Swede. Uh, her mother's uh, name was, uh, maiden name was Anna Peterson and uh, she worked uh, with uh, Frank Waters Construction and, um, and successfully uh, uh, worked on uh, draining a lot of uh, a lot of the area and working on I think every generating station on the Winnipeg River the waters construction was involved in. Lastly, I'll, I'll ask you guys about uh, the local community foundation here, the Lactabani Foundation. How is that relationship? I know it's it's still in the early early stages. Uh, how do you hope that relationship will? benefit the Lactabani District Museum? Uh, well, I guess it was through their past president, Jerry Arbez, uh, who brought the, uh, the news of this, uh, um, of this grant, matching, matching grant eh, to the Historical Society, and, and uh, it was brought up at a, at a board meeting and uh, by a close, a close vote, because there's, uh, there's, there's a fraction out there that uh, um, they, want, they want money now as opposed to uh, trickling in over the years. They don't see the sustainability of it, but uh, it, it passed and uh, the Historical Society uh, was able to uh, 
get some donations could be around seven thousand or dollars today i guess that's that's in the fund and uh but it's it's in the first uh first year eh? so it was all through uh, the lactoponi charitable foundation that uh, the lactoponi district historical society got involved and finally uh for those who are looking for more information about the museum uh they want to learn more they want to come by what details do you have to offer the Lactabani Historical Museum is available ldbhistorical.ca and we're also on Facebook and the museum opens in May or June, uh, Saturday and Sundays from two, 12 to 4. In July and August and early September, it's Wednesday to Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's the Lactabane District Museum. Terry and Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. As mentioned, the Lactabane District Museum has partnered with the Lactabane Foundation to establish a permanently endowed Manitoba Heritage Trust Fund to support their work. This program helps museums like the Lactabane District Museum operate and preserve Manitoba's rich culture. To learn more about the Heritage Trust program, visit endowmanitoba.ca. This is Jeremy Morantz, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks for joining us on the Because Radio Road Trip. To hear all of our road trips from this past summer, visit becauseradio.org.